podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. In this episode, we've got kings, we've got queens, and we've got everything in between. Let's get started. Welcome to the show. Welcome to His Film, Her Movie, the movie podcast where both hosts must each choose a film that connects to that week's theme. Yes. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And welcome to another episode. It's been a little while. It has. We don't seem to do very well when it's lockdown. We don't. episodes. We kind of then go, ooh, let, let's have a holiday from recording. Yeah, it's weird because we do have more time, but... I but think, we don't have more time. Yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> it's an anomaly. And it's only lockdown in England. Yes, lockdown 2.0 in England until hopefully, fingers crossed, December 2nd. Yes. And we're halfway there. Well. Yeah, halfway. Halfway-ish, yeah. Halfway-ish. So, this week we are back doing our normal show. Yes, we are. And... We thought we'd take, well, celebrate, let's say, so let's say celebrate the release of one of our favourite TV shows currently, and that is Netflix's The Crown. So how do we do that? Well, the theme of this week is to do with films that deal with the royal family. And we have two very different films that deal with the royal family. Yeah, that, that's our no, that's our goal, really, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. what we that's what we aim to do. So, <clears throat> what have you chose this week? I picked the uh, two thousand six. Yes, two thousand six. I couldn't see which one is. Um, Stephen Frears' film, The Queen, with yes. Helen Mirren, which is actually written by Peter Morgan, who actually created The Crown. Yes, it is. And I chose Robert Zinnemann's 1966 Best Picture winner, mm-hmm. A Man for All Seasons. Yes. Adapted from the play, which is all around Sir Thomas More and his views on Henry VIII's second marriage. Yes. And the outcome of that. But... Do we have anything else really to say? Do we have any... Because we haven't really recorded for a while. I'm just wondering what, what's different. Um, nothing. <laughs> nothing. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. No. We can't see anyone. Apart from each other. Apart from each other. Apart from people at work. Yes. Um. Apart from that, no. No. No, nothing. Um, I did see, however, there's a, a big list of all the films that are supposed to come out next year. Oh, yeah. And there is some cracking ones that will hopefully be coming out. So... 2021 is going to be crazy movie release. 2021, I think we're going to be at the cinema like every week. Yeah. Just to try and catch up, to see everything. I hope everybody else will be catching up as well. Yeah. So then we might as well get into the body of the show. So what do we want to start with? Let's start with yours. Okay, let's start with mine. So what's it time for? 
His film. Yes, it is time for his film, which again is A Man for All Seasons, directed by Robert Zinnerman. Get my notes ready. Okay, we'll have a clip and then we'll come back. Arrest him. For what? He's dangerous. For libel, he's a spy. Father, that man's bad. There's no law against that. There is God's law. Then God can arrest him. While you talk, he's gone. And go he should if he were the devil himself until he broke the law. So, now you'd give the devil benefit of law. Yes, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? Yes. I'd cut down every law in England to do that. Oh? And when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper, the laws all being flat? This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? Yes. I give the devil benefit of law for my own safety's sake. Right to you then. So Robert Zinnemann's A Man for All Seasons. Yes. You have... It's a story of, as we said, Sir Thomas More, um, who stood against Henry VIII's divorce of Catherine of Aragon. Um, it was it Catherine of Aragon or it, it was one of his wives. He had it's many of them. Divorced, beheaded, survived I uh, no, divorced, beheaded, died. Then it's di- then it's I can see every single cog <laughs> going in your annulled, head. Annulled, beheaded, survived. Cool. So this one got divorced, the one he married at the in, during the film was beheaded. Anne Boleyn. So Anne Boleyn was the mistress. Yes. So yes, so this is all to do regarding the wedding of, or the marriage of Anne Boleyn. Yes. And the legality of that because at the time, divorce was frowned upon, but actually it wasn't frowned upon. It was, it was banned. It was banned in it was illegal. Uh, the Catholic Church. And Thomas More, who wouldn't not not that he had to sign off on it, but he wouldn't ever give his blessing, so that could always because give... everybody they were all given like a thing to swear by to yeah. say that they all gave their blessing, and he said no. Well, no, actually, that's the whole thing. Yes, he didn't say no. He just didn't say it. He didn't say it, and um, because he was a lawyer, so he understood the the power of words and the power of no words. Um. Because it didn't didn't really matter what he believed as long as that he didn't actually say it out loud because that was the final argument. Yeah. And yes, you've got Paul Schofield who, in the lead role, who went on to win the Oscar for for Best Actor. Mm -hmm. And why did I choose this movie? Uh, It's a bit of a strange one because, again, it is adapted by a play. And it is rather slow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there is that element of you really just sitting through a history lesson. Uh, no, I had more interesting history lessons than this. All right. Okay. So we, we understand <laughs> what your views are on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, well, I mean, why do I like this movie? I like the movie because it brings up these interesting moral questions even though regarding the, the the religious side of it, that doesn't really interest me. It's more of the, the legality side of it and people being persecuted for not actually stating a side. Yeah. 
and it is pretty fantastically acted. I mean, Paul Schofield is wonderful in the movie. However, it is also a movie of two halves, and you can definitely feel that being adapted from the stage play where the intermission would be. Yeah, definitely. So you've got that. You've got sort of the teeing up of the marriage and of Henry VIII coming to visit him and trying to get him on his side and trying to get his blessing and just sign off on this because what? Well, well the, the, the fallout of Thomas More not doing this is the creation of the Church of England mm-hmm. and it being apart from the Catholic Church and the implications regarding that. So, yeah, you, you get to see it. And then as soon as the wedding happens, then we um, are into, I think, the, the more interesting side of the story. Yeah, it's like the, the, the first bit's like the build-up. The first, the first half can be quite a slog. It is a lot of talking. It's a lot of just debating about... And a lot of nothing happening. Yeah, nothing really happening. It's people talking about something that could happen or something that will happen. The most exciting thing was the riverboats. The riverboats, yes. And that guy twining, going, yeah, it's the same price, either upstream or downstream, but it, the person who obviously made that up never has never rode a boat before. He's like, <sighs> look at the sassy man. And I mean, one of the things I do love about this movie also is Robert Robert Shaw as Henry VIII. His voice because it is it's a strange thing because when you see an actor for the first time, mm-hmm. that's I don't know why, but that's where you believe they're from from that performance. And Robert Shaw, the first time I ever saw Robert Shaw was in Jaws. Yes, and he plays an American and he mm-hmm. has a great American accent. So when you ever see him, actually in his normal tongue, it's so jarring and. He has a hell of a lot of charisma and boisterous. He gets that the the, the free spirited aspect of Henry VIII down about and how his his ego was a bit too big and exactly because he he thought he was bigger than the church. Well, it's the same. Like um, I've read quite a few things about uh, Hugh Laurie. Yeah, and people being so shocked that he was actually English because, of course, we know him from. Blackadder and Fry and Laurie and everything. And then, of course, he does House. And his American accent is second to none. Yeah. Like, you can't tell that it's not his accent. Um, And then my my favourite thing is people absolutely freaking out and seeing him in old, like, um, Fry and Laurie sketches and going, okay, yeah, we actually believed that he was American this whole time. No, absolutely. And, like, it's... So, I mean, again, you didn't like this movie. I, I had think. a nap. <laughs> I fell asleep. But that, and that's the thing is as well. I fell asleep it, sitting up. It, you know when you have the head nod? Yeah. That was me. <laughs> me and the cat. And I think, and what I can see, and I understand it because it is, it's nothing much happens and it is a lot of talking. And it's a lot of talking, and not even in a modern Tom. Do you know what? It's not modern and it's not the ye olde sort of thing. It's mm. like a weird bastardised mixture of the two. It's very BBC. It is very BBC and I found that quite difficult to... You either sp- I can understand stuff if you speak as if it was Shakespearean. Mm. That's fine because I think there's like a little switch in your brain when you go, okay, right, so they're talking like this so that's how you follow it. And you. But this was... A little bit of Shakespearean mixed with a little bit of modern. So my brain kept having to go, what are they saying? 
and a lot of the time um it kind of felt like they were just using big words to sound clever they were like kind of flowering up the language when they didn't when they didn't really need to mm-hmm. um my main thing is and I've we have watched quite a lot of older films yeah, recently yeah. um just in our private viewing um what is with the overacting i have noticed this time and time again now and I don't know if it's because maybe the actors are more used to being on the stage. So everything has to be louder and bigger and more dramatic. But there's always quite a few people where it's just too big. It's like the emotion is so that way somebody can see it. But then when you're on, like if you were on a stage, but then if you were on um, in, on a camera, it doesn't translate well. It looks very false. Um, And I find that quite difficult. Like when uh, Thomas More was in the cell and his family come and visit him and they're like, oh, this is awful, this is awful. I feel like going, well, bitch, tell your face to to show that it's awful because you you don't look sad. Nobody looks sad. You've got the sad voice, but you're not... Especially... There's no crying, there's no nothing. If my dad was sent to a jail to be killed because of something that he believed in i would be damn upset yeah but no and i think the overacting is a very much a part of i think not only the material but also the actors like i say paul schofield was one of he's seen as one of the great shakespearean actors he's up there with Lawrence of like Lawrence Olivier and things like that and you've got leo mckern again these are stage actors leo mckern plays um Oliver, Crom- Oliver Cromwell? Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell. But I didn't really find it as much from the men. It's always the women. Right. Like, I, I honestly, it's always the women. They yeah. always have the ridiculous screams. Yeah. And they shout and they scream a lot. But it's just to be loud. There's no real emotion behind it. And recently, like, I found that kind of hard when we were watching older films... Um, and I don't know if it's because when you're on stage, you can't just cry and have a breakdown because that door won't translate you to the people the... in the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like his daughter and his wife were both, again, just, they, were, they were saying all the right things and they were saying it in the right tone, but their body language and everything, just I just found didn't, really match up to what they were saying and I just felt like it was so over the top and forced. It was like um, you see uh, King Henry come ashore with uh, on his boats with all of his um, lords that he's friends with and they're all fake laughing along with him. It's, it's like that sort of fake. Yeah. And I just found it, I found that very jarring. So I found the language very jarring because it didn't stick into one, like, type. And I found the overacting very jarring because it, it, I felt like it didn't go with the film. With such a somber film. Yeah, and that's it. And the thing is, if the film is quite low energy, like, even Schofield is, he's not. 
full he's very subdued his performance is very very internal because mm-hmm. being a man of sort of renowned that he is like he's not going to be there shouting whatever because he he knows in his mind that he is on the right side of the argument or in his yeah. mind he is, he is on the right side of the argument i mean depending on which side you're on it's debatable but he knew that as long as he stuck to his morals and stuck to his way that he thought should be lived, yeah, he was right, which is perfectly fine. Absolutely he really fine. only li- raises his voice maybe twice, and I think he does that when they're in the courtroom at the end in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you got John Hurt's character, um, Rich, 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 Richard, Rich, yes, yeah, Richard, Rich, um, Richie, Rich, and so and he's played very much from the beginning as. The, the villain of, yeah. of the piece and not not really in a, in a nasty way just as in a watch out for this one a, yeah a very machiavellian all he cares about is power mm-hmm. and yeah and I, that's what i like about it it's got a very much a shakespearean vibe you could see this being one of those macbeth type of Sort of, I don't know. I find Shakespeare. I found find Shakespeare way more interesting. That's fair. I point. like Shakespeare. No, I like Shakespeare. And I just find this. I just meh. Sorry, that's hun. No, no, that's right. It again. Oh, well, we're doing we're doing it tomorrow. Oh well, can I, can we can we do it when I'm still at work? Because <laughs> it was two hours. Well, I, well, what I, I quite back. what I quite like about it though is, and again, it's it does sometimes feel like a history lesson, but. There isn't you can have a nostalgia there about that, mm-hmm. and it feels. I mean, we watch it on a Sunday afternoon. It feels for me a very Sunday afternoon film. Yes, it's the kind of thing you expect to be on, like BBC Two, yeah. Channel Four, when I, it's raining. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you sit there and you watch it, and it's. It's a, it isn't a huge budget, but it has its own temperament, mm-hmm. and I like that. I like the fact that it is it's intentionally low, low energy, and it. Let's everything breathe and it lets you try and create your own ideas of what's happening because other than Cromwell, mm-hmm. nobody else is really seen as a massive villain. Or, or everybody else is just saying, just 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 sign this paper and, and everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's an interesting time and it's like seeing I like I like the ideas and again, is we're gonna get onto it with yours. I like the dramatization of the behind the scenes of moments in history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I and, like that. And then <clears throat> you you've got that coming along our, our own. But yeah, I see. I, I do. I like um, Man for All Seasons. And one of the funniest things is that um, Orson Welles pulls what would be known as a Marlon Brando, and probably is in four minutes of screen time was most likely paid double or triple more than anybody else. Was he? He played the... Do you know the big fat guy at the beginning in the red robes? Oh, I slagged him off in my notes. I was like, dear God, he looks like he's going to cock it. He looks so ill. Well, the thing is, that's good makeup because he... At the time, I mean, he was 25 when he made Citizen Kane in 41. So he would have only been in his 40s. At that time, I mean, he, he don't get me wrong. He did blew it up and come back down and blew it up and come back. Down. But he, the face makeup is quite good because it makes yeah, him look really Yeah, because obviously, like old. his eyes look bloodshot and like red rimmed. His skin is so blotchy and full of broken capillaries and just 
he looks like a man about to die. Yes, and he does. And then he does. I also like the fact that there's no spoilers in this film because if you just go read your Tudor history, then you know what's going to happen. And yeah, and I think it would be a film that would benefit a remake. Yeah, I think it definitely would. Because it's such an interesting moment in time and you've got that... You've got the conniving part of the, the Richard Rich. Mm-hmm. You've got the really horrible side of Thomas Cromwell. Sorry, Oliver Cromwell. Is it Thomas Cromwell? No, it's Oliver Cromwell Oliver and Thomas Crom- Moore. Oh, yes. And, yeah, it, it would really, really benefit a remake. But, yeah, it's 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 a story about morals. And I always like stories about things that don't have a black and a white. It's always grey. Mm-hmm. So, I liked it you didn't, but hey, you can be wrong. I had a nice <laughs> nap. <laughs> One good thing about this film was I had a nap, woke up, and I still hadn't missed anything. <laughs> he was still refusing to bless the marriage. So, what is your film this week? My film, like we said, was the is the two thousand and six, um, Stephen Fryer's. Film stars Friars Frears, the Queen, yes. starring starring Helen Mirren. And what is it time for now? Her movie. And we'll be back after a clip. Hey guys, Noel here. I just wanted to interrupt this movie podcast to tell you about another movie podcast you might want to add to your list. Every week, the newly rebooted Film Ramp podcast brings you a couple of casual reviews of whatever I've been watching and a little bit of chat about our beloved world of cinema. Sometimes new films, sometimes old films, very often both, but always just a little outside of the bigger mainstream release schedule. And in each episode, I also break down one item from the film news pages to offer my own thoughts and opinions in a section called Listen Up Hollywood. So, if you fancy a new, light and breezy film podcast on your listening schedule, why not give the all-new Film Ramp podcast a go? Just visit wearepodsyndicate.com or search The Film Ramp Podcast on your favourite podcast app or provider. Come on, everybody sing it. Have we shown you how to start a nuclear war yet? Uh, no. First thing we do, apparently. Then we take away your passport and spend the rest of the time sending you around the world. (laughs) You obviously know my job better than I do. Well, you are my tenth Prime Minister, Mr Blair. My first, of course, was Winston Churchill. He sat in your chair in frock coat and top hat. He was kind enough to give a shy young girl like me quite an education. I can imagine. (laughs) With time, one has hopefully added experience to that education and a little wisdom better enabling us to execute our constitutional responsibility. To advise, guide and warn the government of the day. Advice which I look forward to receiving. Yes, we'll we'll save that for our weekly meetings. If there's nothing else, I believe we have some business to attend to. Of course, (laughs) Your Majesty, my party has won the election, and so I come now to ask your permission to form a government. No, Mr Blair. Mr Blair, I ask the question. The duty falls upon me as your sovereign to invite you to become Prime Minister and to form a government in my name. And if you agree, the custom is to say yes. Yes. So this film is set... 
1997 and it is the death of Princess Diana and um, how the Queen and the royal family reacts to the death and, of course, the complete break uh, break to protocol mm. that um, that Princess Diana's death sort of led to. Yeah. And it starts with um, the uh, election of... Not the election, was it? It starts with Tony Blair going to yeah, the, 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 the Queen for the, the first queen, time. I can't think of the word, like when he wins. Tony Blair's won the election and it's him becoming yes. Prime Minister. With um, Tony Blair being played by Michael Sheen. Absolutely. Who we love in this house. <laughs> we love Michael Sheen. And um, yeah, so he starts off with that. He's going to go and see the Queen to get the blessing and um it then sort of leads on sort of skips a couple ahead a couple of months to when princess diana does die and it's that week that she dies and that's what the whole the majority of the film is set in it's set in that week after she dies and uh the queen's reaction the public's reaction and the advice tony blair and the labor government gave the queen to be able to sort of navigate this um what i did really like about this film is that it does it's very good at intersplicing the drama with actual real yeah uh newsreel uh clips um for people who are in their early 30s and upwards we remember when princess diana died i remember coming down the stairs on the sunday morning and my mum sitting watching the news and it being on every single channel and everything else was pretty much cancelled for the entire day. Mm. Um, I remember the arguments that were being played out on the TV and the news and in the newspapers about why wasn't the Queen uh, flying the flag at half-mast and everything. And I think it's very interesting to be able to look back on it and watch this film because it kind of goes into why weren't they doing that? And the whole thing is that at that time... They didn't do it. They didn't do it for any of the kings. They weren't going to do it for the queen. They weren't going to do it for the queen mum or anybody else who died because that it just wasn't what was done. Um, but that has now changed due to the sheer public outcry of what happened over Princess Diana's death because um, she was so popular. Mm. Um, as Alistair Campbell wrote, she was the people's princess. Yes. In Tony Blair, Blair's uh, speech. Yeah. Um, but Stephen Frears does he does a great job of directing these kind of films. As you, as anybody who's watched The Crown knows, um, his eye for detail. That's Peter Morgan. Sorry, Peter Morgan. Stephen Frears is the director. He directed it, but Peter Morgan read The Queen, so Peter Morgan wrote The Crown. Oh, sorry, Peter Morgan wrote The Crown. Um, but Stephen Frears, his eye for detail yeah. is absolutely brilliant. Um, little things like um, the different kind of uh, lighting for it being in um, Up at Balmoral, the sort of, it's sunny, but it's still not quite bright and everything so that way we don't know where they filmed it we were talking about this as we watched it and it it's it's the kind of castle that we've kind of seen a few times as being 
Balmoral, so we don't know if it is actually something on the estate or if not, but the whole shots up there are just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's what so it's one of my things that I came up with, because um, the first thing you see with this movie before anything starts is that it's a Granada production, mm-hmm. and there's something about it which makes me feel that it was originally, which this might be wrong, but it was originally sort of made for TV. Yeah. But then they realised how good it was going to be and then went, oh crap, we can actually release this in theatres. Yeah. Um, because it does, it's it's not a, a massively cinematic film, but because it, it's all resting on the performances and within the relationships between, say, Tony Blair and the Queen and... and much more about the character characterization about those. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's not Stephen Freeze's best looking movie, but I think it does feel like it might have been made for TV, and then they just realised how good it was and the talent that they actually had yeah. involved. One of my favourite things is um, costumes mm. in anything to do with the royal family. It's costumes. Um, I've made no secret of this. I love the Queen. I love her style. I love the like the stupid little things like um down to when you see her uh welcoming Tony Blair, even her shoes, the type of shoes that they've got for her are correct. Mm. They're the same heel height and shape, the same kind of handbags that she should have been carrying, the uh silk headscarves, the barber jackets, um, the tartan skirts, everything. And I think as well that's what makes films about our royal family so iconic things like that like you could go into pretty much any charity shop and pick up a, t- a long tartan skirt for yeah. an elderly lady but you match it with a couple of little things and you're like that is how the queen dresses it's something so simple and so iconic as a barber jacket and a silk headscarf that instantly makes you think that's the queen hmm. and it's pulling on little tropes like that um, Helen Mirren always looks amazing and she's a very beautiful woman um, and it's not until she goes and does the actual live speech that she actually sounds like the Queen I feel or the Queen that we sort of know mm-hmm. so all these little bits that we all sort of collectively know and associate with the Queen are there to bring her up because she's in real life I believe that she's quite a bit taller than her she's got a completely different build and everything so these little things like the pearls and brooches and lots of little things like that all together that sort of attention to detail I feel is very very good because it brings you in and it doesn't break the fantasy because I think it'd be very easy, no matter how good Helen Mirren is for her acting, <clears throat> excuse me, how she looks could bring you out of the fantasy. No, exactly. And I mean, I think that is, I mean, she is the, the film's strongest point, Helen mm-hmm. Mirren. And again, she won the Oscar for it. She did. Um, and, and Tony Blair is flashy. In, in Michael Sheen's version of Tony Blair is flashy. And he does get his mannerisms down perfectly. But it's something to do with the smile. The smile never quite reaches Tony Blair's eyes. <laughs> and Michael Sheen has got that down 
perfectly. He does look a little bit like a ventriloquist to me, I feel, when Tony Blair, Tony Blair, when he smiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, the eyes, you could cover his mouth and you'd never know what the bottom half of his face is actually doing. But, but, but my favourite thing about this film is that it, in history, in the past and in whenever, the, the viewpoints and the the judgments of the royal family have always always been seen as they don't give anything, they, they don't comment, they don't. they don't whatever. So I really do enjoy it. Again, we're going back to that behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. aspect of it, but we're seeing the Queen actually have... A viewpoint. A viewpoint. Yeah. And actually have... Do you know what? I would rather... If I could vote, I could vote for these people, and I don't like these people, and yep. I don't... Why do they want to do this? And it is so fascinating not only that but also to see and understand that the the, the term modern comes up a lot in this movie yes. and how she has been the sovereign for so long that is she out of touch and does she really understand the british people anymore because she's been not one of them at all over she's been in such a high hey yeah she's been separated yeah it's like how when they say um when she was walking around and looking at the flowers that they think that is the first time since um ve day that she was actually properly among her subjects which is a long time because that was when she was still her dad was still a king then um, and we've done we've done the the royal night out as one of our yeah. films previously. So it was when she was a when she was a teenager. So that is a long time. And also, I think we're quite privileged in thinking now. If you think of, for example, I've had a mobile phone since I was twelve. Yeah. I've had a mobile phone for over twenty years now. Yeah. And how easy it has been for me to get information, to contact people, to do all this. Although she is the highest, I want to say in quotes, like the highest office, although it's more symbolic, in the 90s, getting your information was still done by, it's like Tony Blair says, the people being going out and polling and seeing, it's by asking those questions. Whereas now it's very easy for them to be able to see the reactions to things like on Twitter and on Facebook and you can get an instant poll out that you're not having to then go out and ask people. I feel like nowadays if something similar happened, they would know much sooner and much quicker how to react and how to judge what the British people were wanting by the simple fact that they would have access to that information. Back then... They would have had access, but it would have taken longer. No, and, and I guess I mean that that is fair. But actually, what what I think this also is is a humbling of the royal family as well, mm-hmm. because generally, and especially the way um, Prince Charles, no Philip, Prince Philip acts within this movie, um, he is. We are better. We know better. We. It's not. It shows the tone deafness of the royal family at that time. Gramito Prince Philip is possibly not the best yes. example. But, but, but even the Queen and yeah, even, even the even, Queen and um, the Queen Mother, because I think 
again, it shows that time's like so stuck in their ways. And if, again, at that time when, say, New Labour came in, mm-hmm. and they've been under a Conservative government for so long, like yeah. they've been through Maggie Thatcher, John Major. Was it, did they say it was 18 years yeah, or yeah. something? Yeah. Um. So they, they get used to the same people, the same policies the same, same way of doing everything the same way well the same way of, yeah of, again of communicating when you've got tony blair who was a young man at the time mm-hmm. who yes call me tony call me tony yeah would speak to people in, in in a certain way and i think what this film shows and don't get me wrong i'm not a big tony blair person because again what happened after this is just is, is what it is and um, in tony blair's life but it, yeah, for me, it shows the fact that they do have a viewpoint because, of course, they do because they're human. Everybody's got and, a viewpoint. And again, Helen Mirren's performance because again, it's it's when you play the queen, you you've got to have at this threshold. You can't go too far either way. No, you can't be too emotional and you can't be too happy. Because I was everything is within the lines with, with the Queen. So you've got to be, you've got to show the, the internal stuff mm-hmm. without showing it externally. And she does that so, so well in this movie. I feel like it must be quite difficult to play a character like the Queen because of that simple reason. Mm. Um, I thought it was quite nice, like at the start when she's getting her portrait taken, um, that you do kind of see her being a bit more of a person. Because... She will be in the privacy of her own home. She's going to laugh and cry and get angry and frustrated and everything that everybody else does. She's just constantly being taught, do that in the privacy of your own home. When you're outside, you have to literally be the physical embodiment of the British stiff upper lip. And sure, one of the most humane, especially in this movie emotions is the fact is that a lot of the actions i'm not saying this was at the time it being it, this is a dramatized version of it but the jealousy that she had for diana yeah because she was again the people's princess people loved her more than they love the queen they love the queen and i think that was the hard thing to get her head around and she i don't think she really understood why people liked her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, again, within the royal family with, 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 with Prince Philip and things like that. Because they only saw... Well, they saw what they saw what she was like. Every, we only know what was put out into the public domain. Yes. Well, we, only, we can only speculate on what she was like by what we have been allowed to see. It, it's like anything, it's... The establishment doesn't like it when somebody tries to shake them up. No. And that's exactly what Diana was. So she was like, it, it was just two juggernauts going head to head. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, that in itself is interesting. But seeing the fact that there's this individual who is who you see as unhuman in a way. She, you don't feel like the Queen's a person. She's, she's the Queen. She is... Yeah higher than anybody else in the land yeah so you don't attribute the same feelings but of no, course they do and I, 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 I like seeing the human side of it but 
Thank you very much, Apple Watch. <laughs> There's Jordan just getting our well, what who would like to be our sponsor? <laughs> but yeah, I really do enjoy the Queen. It, it, it clips along at a pace, even though it's not like a, a hugely um, dramatic movie or anything like that. It, it clips along, shows some really nice insight, and yeah, it's it's a good watch. I have some fun facts for you. Oh, right, okay. So, scenes within the royal household were shot on 35mm film. Yeah. So they would look more lush and cinematic. Mm. Whereas um, scenes within Blair's world were shot on 16mm film, so it didn't look quite as good to try and show the difference between the commoners and the royal family. Right. Which I always... um, I always thought it was quite fun. I like the idea of it being shot on two different kinds of film. Um, And also, Queen Elizabeth really liked Dame Helen Mirren's um, uh, portrayal of her. Mm -hmm. So much so that she actually invited her to tea at Buckingham Palace. But due to filming commitments, Helen Mirren couldn't go. I know, how good would that be? It would be so good. She should have went in um, cosplay as the queen. That would have been brilliant. Cosplay as the queen. <laughs> Be two queens. That makes me think of, have you seen the picture of the queen giggling when she walks past the guard? When you look at the guard, it's actually Prince Philip. <laughs> and he's giggling as well. It's such a cute picture. And I just think, oh, that's quite nice. You can just see her just like going, ha, that's my husband. <laughs> but you like this movie too. I love this movie. I didn't fall asleep in this movie. Um... Kept along at a good pace, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't, I just feel like the emotions were more real in this. Mm. Um, You had the frustration of Tony Blair and you had the stoicness of the Queen. To me, it was more realistic. I know it was, well, no, they were both based on real things, so. Yeah, I mean, the dramatised versions of them, but again, it's. I'm pretty sure, generally, that was the reasons behind it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we see these changing moments in history because, again, it feels like the royal family have been a bit more open to the public after yeah. this and trying to be a bit more relatable because yeah. at that time they weren't. No, they weren't at that time. And yeah, I completely agree. I think you're right. Cool. Well, I think that's it for this episode. It is. That is we'll, us. We will be back next week. Yes. We uh, will be back next week. And? We promise. We promise we'll be back next week, yes. We've already got something in the works for next week. We so do, we do. We're, we've actually planned it. We have. And we are the podcast that normally over-promises and under-delivers, but we're not going to do that anymore. We're always going to... Under promise and over deliver. Absolutely. So we, we, you will hear from us in some way next week. Yes. And then when we release a podcast, you'll be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Radio, so that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>